Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to Midweek in the Word. Thanks for joining us for another episode uh, of the podcast. I am Pastor Brad, the Adult Ministries Pastor at Faith Bible Church. And uh, this week I've got a couple of guests on the podcast. I have our regular voice on the podcast, Pastor Tom, our preaching pastor. Uh, Welcome back again, Tom, to I, I think this is our 20th episode of the podcast. Wow, we should have cake or cupcakes or something anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly yeah. sure they discourage exchanging food right now. And, and logistically, we'd have a tr- maybe we can all have a cupcake at our own houses and just celebrate with a little candle. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, so 20 week or 20 weeks in, 20 podcasts in. Um, appreciated all your all, all that you've shared so far, Tom. But uh, Tom is not the only one on the podcast this week. I've also invited a, another new guest, like we had last week, to the podcast. Uh, pastor Troy, our worship pastor at the church, is joining us this week as well. Uh, welcome to your first podcast, Pastor Troy. Oh, thanks, Brad. Appreciate you uh, having me on and uh, glad to be here. It's going to be good. I'm looking forward to it and appreciate your willingness to step into this. Um, see, th- because though Troy hasn't been on the podcast before, uh, uh, for you listeners, there's there's a couple of reasons I really wanted him to join us the first or for his first podcast this week. Uh, the first is that uh, though you maybe haven't had the opportunity to sit under Troy's teaching personally, uh, I just want to say he is an excellent Bible teacher and a biblical scholar in his own right. In fact, you may not be aware, but Troy is is uh, recently finished up a master's course on biblical interpretation. And uh, before this whole COVID-19 thing hit, was actually teaching one of our faith life classes on biblical interpretation. Um, if I recall correctly, Troy, we weren't able to finish just the last, last session of that class. Is that right? That's right. We got all the way up to uh, application, which is, of course, uh, the most important thing we would do when we uh, study scripture. But it's also kind of the easiest thing to understand because when you go through all the process of observation and interpretation, uh, by the time you get to application, it's usually fairly obvious what I'm supposed to do, but then it's often very hard to actually commit to doing those things. So in one yeah. sense, it's an easy part, and then it's also maybe the hardest piece because we have to then do what God asks us to do. Yeah, no doubt. So so listeners, if you're out there and you were attending Troy's class, know that uh, we're thinking of you. We wished we could have finished that up, but uh, we might spend a few weeks on application later. Um, and if you send Troy an email, we might be able to convince him to be back on the podcast again to share on what he was hoping to share in his class. Um, but, the, but the second reason I invited Troy to join us this week is because this week, um, or Troy uh, actually oversees one of the church's most effective teaching ministries. Um, and, and he does so primarily through the use of this particular genre or literary style of scripture that we'll be discussing on the podcast this morning. But but before we get to that, and before I open it up and allow you to hear some of Troy's thoughts on that subject, uh, I want to move back to our Route 66 series. Um, Tom, you've been preaching, continuing to preach from Genesis through Revelations, and we're in First and Second Samuel. This last week, you had the character of David from First Samuel 16 and 17, primarily in Second Samuel 23. Uh, so let's rehearse back through some of our application questions and and what we're learning as we move through the Bible. What what did we learn about God from the life of David on Sunday? 
Well, I think the, the further we go through this study, the more clear it is that there is a sovereign God or sovereign hand writing a redemptive storyline. And uh, in David in particular, I think we see his big plan really unfolding. We've been exposed to the fact that there will be a, a prophet and there will be a priest. And then suddenly we see there will be a king. And uh, so God has revealed himself as the theocratic ruler, not only of Israel, but uh, the king of the universe. And at the same time, he mediates that through a human. So uh, we, we see God, I think, in, a, in an expanding portrait of sovereign oversight. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it's funny because we've talked about the genre of you know, genealogies in the past. And we highlighted some of these that knowing David was coming in the future, we finally got there, you know, this, this lion of Judah or the son of Judah that's going to come as a king, you know, and then ultimately, you know, Ruth. And then, you know, we get, we get Rahab that you talked about and, and some of these kind of things as, as they come along. So we've been anticipating David and ultimately Christ. Um, but just cool to see how God's hand works, works that out so many years in advance. Um, Secondarily, what what did this story reveal about mankind or ourselves? Well, I, you know, I think with the with the great buildup we've had, as you said, coming toward David, we we could anticipate he was coming. We we knew who his great great grandmothers were and all of mm-hmm. that, and we're thinking when he finally gets here, you know, we've arrived, and then suddenly we find out that even the great David was simply a man, and he was still Amen. prone to wander. I, we also realize that for that man that falls and repents, he will stand again. So contrary to the story of Saul, the first king, we see in David, the second king, that there is restoration for those who are repentant. Mm, excellent reminder. And and it's funny to think that the story of David with the writers of first and second Samuel almost seemed to go out of the, or out of the way to explain David's faults. You know, if yeah. they were trying to whitewash Israel's history, this yeah. great king, they would have left out some of these character flaws, um, but they go out of their way to explain it. If I was the Holy Spirit writing a book, I wouldn't have told you about those things in David. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the exactly. raw of the text is amazing. It's a good reminder considering David was called a man after God's own heart for yeah. each of us, no doubt. And then lastly, how does the the person of David point us to to Christ? We've seen portraits of Christ all the way through, but uh, I I think it gets the most clear when you get to the Gospels. Jesus is often called the Son of God. Many times he's called the Son of Man. But the real title that was uh, like on uh, the day when they cried out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David, there was just Mm -hmm. that sense that uh, in that line of David, there is coming the Messiah and uh, the, the, I, I love that the two blind men outside of Jericho had the greatest sight of anyone. They couldn't see mm. physically, but spiritually they said, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on us. Amen. Yeah. Before, before the ultimate king comes, David stands as kind of a, a, a stop sign or a, a, an arrow sign pointing to Christ. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, well, gentlemen, that is that is kind of Route sixty six and where we stand. But but this week we wanna we wanna shift a little bit away from the sermon series and, and talk about a, a major genre or literary style of scripture, um, and that comprises roughly a third of all of scripture. So it's kind of a critical one for us to understand. Correct, 
uh, correctly. And it and it seemed appropriate considering, Tom, your person of focus last week, David, was one of this style's major contributors. Um, listeners, if you haven't figured out what we're talking about or haven't guessed it at this point, uh, I'm referring to the literary style or genre of poetry. Um, cause David specifically writing nearly half of the Psalms himself and contributing to those poetic works in the Bible. Uh, so, so Troy, if you would be willing to kick us off here, uh, what do we mean by the literary style or the genre of biblical poetry? Well, I think the probably clearest, easiest answer is just it's those portions of scripture that are primarily or entirely made up of songs, uh, proverbial statements and phrases, poems. Um, you know, um, in our English Bible, Job through the Song of Solomon primarily is all one chunk called um, wisdom literature is part of that. But um, mm. those are what we think of when we think of poetry. Although there are portions of poetry all throughout the prophets and even in the narrative passages. So uh, your stat is kind of mind boggling when you think a third of the Bible is poetry. Yeah. It's great. It's particular. Oh, go ahead. No, I, you know, most of us, uh, you know, struggle a little bit with poetry and it's, (laughs) it's just mind boggling to think, Oh, but a third of my Bible is poetry. I should probably uh, (laughs) consider what that means. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I was going to say, too. I mean, I, I get the roses are red, violets are blue stuff, but uh, I was not a huge fan of, of my study of poetry in high school literature. Yeah. Uh, but it may, definitely a key one that we need to understand how to, how to interpret correctly. Um, so let's help our listeners here a little bit then. As they're reading through their Bibles, if, if there's so much poetry, what are some key features that help us identify when we come across it? I mean, obviously we would expect Psalms, you know, most of us are familiar with the songs, but what helps us know we're dealing with poetry? Uh, well, that's not always easy, but typically poetry is going to have dense creative language. Um, not as opposed to narrative, which is just going to basically tell us a story, very creative language. Typically it's filled with metaphors and other figurative Mm. language, colorful imagery. Um, It's more intended to invoke an emotional connection and a response. And it does have a poetic structure, um, although it's not the same as what we're used to with our meter and rhyme. It's different. So we have to kind of learn how to discern that in ancient poetry, but um, it does have a poetic structure too. Mm. And I I know a lot of Bibles uh, try and help you with that by kind of splitting things up into stanzas so you can see that it's poetry in addition to kind of feeling it. Um, Okay. So that's helpful as we, as we think about, okay, I'm I'm coming across some poetry in different places in scripture. Now let's, let's move back over to you, Tom, um, because where are the major and minor places in scripture where poetry or poetic language is really prolific? Well, as Troy said, uh, the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, I mean, those are predominantly structured uh, along that way. But it's kind of interesting that 32 of the 39 books in the Old Testament include poetry as Mm. part. So uh, there are major books, and then there are sections within. Like you said, our our translators have been gracious. They usually indent (laughs) those parts, Mm -hmm. you know, so... You're reading through the narrative of the book of Exodus, and you come to the 15th chapter all at once. You know, you, you see this indentation, you realize that this is the hymn of Moses, and then suddenly you're interpreting uh, poetically and things like that. So 
and the prophets will often, while writing a narrative of warning or correction or promise, then they'll suddenly shift in. Isaiah does that repeatedly. Just finished a major 13-month study in uh, Isaiah with the Thursday morning men's Bible study, and so much of Isaiah is written in poetic style. Hmm. I, I love that you bring up how much the Old Testament especially moves back and forth between literary styles and and even the specific example of Moses in the book of Exodus, because it tells us the story of the Israelites crossing over the waters in narrative form, and then we get a retelling of it in poetic form, which leads into yep. the next question that I was, I was going to ask, and that's why would poetry then be used there? Uh, why do the biblical authors choose poetry to convey their intent? instead of another style like literary or like narrative that we've talked about in the past? Uh, yeah, I think a little bit. Um, my generation had less, I think, less challenge in scripture memory because the old King Jimmy had a poetic <laughs> kind of writing ring to it. And so we mm-hmm. memorized, you know, our Awana challenge was King James and it, it, it kind of, so I, I think they do that because it's memorable. You can memorize it. You can repeat it. I think they also do it because, uh, as Troy had indicated, it, it appeals to the emotion. Uh, it, paints, it paints word pictures that simple narrative struggles to uh, articulate. And so it, it, it makes it almost makes the words visual. And uh, mm. you know, between visual and memorable, uh, it, it's not, it's, like I said, it's not so much the rhythm. Uh, I mean, the rhyme as it is the rhythm, there's a, there's a beat to it. It, mm. In fact, it was interesting. I was thinking when I, 20 years ago when I was in Jerusalem, they described us, they showed us how the steps leading up to the Temple Mount are at different heights. You don't just have a seven-inch rise as we would on a stairs here. But they change, and they said if you walk them, you'll feel or you'll feel the rhythm of the Psalms of Ascent, almost forcing mm. you to think as you're coming. So they use poetry to slow us down to engage our emotion and to cause us to think more deeply about this topic that's in front. Mm. And I think sometimes they're, I mean, they're designed to not give us quite necessarily the detail, but the idea. So they might mm. expand on an idea and things might not be in order like they would be in a narrative passage, but that they're trying to give you the big picture ideas uh, of a, of a passage or of an event. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's helpful for people, and in a lot of ways, that's that's what we have in common with current poetry. You know, think you think of some of the the, the more known poets that we read from, um, and their stuff is memorable, and there's there's cadence, and and it and it appeals to our emotions. Uh, but we also recognize that there's some challenges that Hebrew poetry, ancient poetry, was a little different than than the way we think of it today. And you've already alluded a little bit this about this, Troy. So if you want to go into detail, what what are the the obstacles that we face when it comes to interpreting biblical poetry? Uh, well, there's several, but I'll mention a couple. Just like modern poetry, I think it's understanding the the figurative language and the Im- imagery used. Um, and that's particularly hard um, with um, biblical poetry because of the large time gap. So let me just give you an example. In a, in a conversation today, we might say something like, uh, well, we might refer that to something as being the greatest thing since sliced bread. Mm. And we understand that that means something is really great and really innovative. But imagine using that phrase 
in a conversation with the poet David. Hmm. He would have no idea what we were saying since uh, packaged, <laughs> pre-sliced bread was not even in his paradigm, right? The yes. same thing happens and works in reverse. And so the ancient poets, poets used figurative language and ideas that sometimes don't make much sense to us because they were relevant to them, but we, they, don't, they aren't to us. So uh, we might have to do some contextual homework uh, mm-hmm. to fully and, more, uh, and better understand what a writer is saying. So that certainly makes uh, it a challenge when you're looking at biblical poetry. And the other thing which yeah. we've referred to a little bit is understanding their poetic devices because they're not the same as ours. We're very used to meter and rhyme and iambic pentameter and those kinds of poetic devices, but that is not typically uh, the devices used in ancient poetry. Yeah, and you know, Brad, I think this takes us back to a couple of weeks ago. We talked about those barriers, yeah. that cultural, historical, and, and even geographical. I was thinking through a number of the Psalms use geographic rise and fall kind of mountain descriptions, and it's just not our arena. As Troy was saying, I was saying the early church would gather uh, every week in the uh, in the porticos of Solomon, and also day by day in houses to slice bread together. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's it doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I, I can't help but think of Song of Solomon, uh, you know, where where he refers to <laughs> his wife or or expecting uh, you know, your your nose is like a tower and your legs are like cedar trees and, and things like that that seem to lose some of their emphasis um, in today's culture if we don't understand them correctly. Yeah, no really denying like it. That. Definitely sure. <laughs> Probably sleeping exactly. on the couch. Yeah. We, are, we are not giving out relationship advice. Uh, that is not the right poetic device or illusion to use anymore. No doubt. Yeah, I was thinking of that a couple of weeks ago, our, our topic of context. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good comment, Tom. Sorry, go ahead, Can Troy. I- and I was just going to say, I, uh, it's easy to then kind of be scared away, I think, from biblical poetry, because how could I possibly mm. understand? They're not all that way. We need to not be scared away from these things. Part of the reason there is poetry is it's more reflective and contemplative. So it's okay to wrestle through some of those things. Um, both, uh, you know, Biblical poetry is beautiful and worth meditating on. Um, and they're not all hard. You know, Psalm mm. 136 is... Is fairly straightforward. It talks about God's power and provision, and then his love endures forever. And that's repeated in every verse. It's just a very repetitive reminder that the God who loves and cares for everything loves and cares for you. I mean, that is, Mm. it's not a hard concept, but it is such a refreshing, needed concept for us even today. Yeah, that's a good reminder. That very thing, the thing about the poetry is oftentimes it uses restatement or repetition uh, to, to emphasize the point. So learning to read it and just mark the, either they said the same thing in a different way or they said exactly the same thing over and over. It's pretty easy to figure out what the theme is. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. I let's. I want to come back to that subject here in a second and talk a little bit about the the meter and the principles we can apply to help explore how poetry and ancient literature works. Um, but first, Tom, I just I just want to ask you if if you've seen people make some common mistakes when it comes to poetry um, in your time teaching the Bible. 
Well, I, I think there have been several, especially in uh, the books of uh, Psalms and uh, and the writings of Solomon. Uh, too many times they are interpreted as uh, promises that are made rather than poetic expressions of, of the soul of a worshiper or a mm. seeker. Uh, so we already uh, well, we chuckled a bit about the Song of Solomon, but uh, too many people have tried to make it, I think, uh, a romantic novel and, uh, and not pause long enough to say, what is the message and the meaning? And uh, in fact, some have, have made a great name for themselves that almost, you know, almost uh, make it an X-rated book in the Bible. And it's just not the way it was written and it doesn't read that way. So it's been abused. And then, like I said, and in the Psalms, a lot of people take these, what, what, what the, the psalmist was struggling with in his own life and the conclusion he comes to, and then they, in the book of promises, you know, you get all these Psalms and say, that's for me. Well, yeah, it's an expression of the God that I turn to, but sometimes the resolution was not a direct promise God made to you in your time and space. And I've seen that down through the years, major books published on the basis of misreading a poem. In Proverbs too, you know, we find a lot of people taking proverbs and making them into promises there instead of instead of principles <laughs> yeah yeah and i i do hope at a later date to to tackle the subject of of wisdom literature and some of the unique aspects of that too um, because that is very much the case no doubt i'll say so so if these are some of the the challenges that we face some of the gaps contextually some of the some of the obstacles that we don't necessarily intuitively read poetry the way it was intended to be understood um, what are what are some good ways to overcome these obstacles, Troy? Because obviously, like you said, we're not supposed to avoid these passages. We should really lean into them. Well, and Tom should contribute here too, but I know the last, you know, many weeks in your podcast, you know, context, context is king. And so even with poetry, context helps us. Many of the Psalms, for example, were written out of some experience the author was having. And so it's helpful to read those narrative passages to get a better understanding of the frame of mind and the experience the author was having when he penned that song or that poem. Uh, for example, if you read the, the, you know, the subscript uh, under the title, uh, under Psalm 3, it says when, a Psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Well, you can mm. read that that event in his life in second Samuel 14 and 15. No, that's helpful because you can see the details and then you can read that the heart of David in the Psalm is crying out to God and how then you can imagine, Oh, that was a son of his, you know, doing this to him and how much anguish that might've been. So those are all very helpful context, context, context is uh, you know, what we preach a lot because that helps you understand um the, the necessary information around this around a psalm uh, or any any passage really uh, I guess the other thing I would say um, is don't rush it um, spend time with poetry you know I, I I alluded to this earlier but poetry is meant to communicate in a different way than say narrative or instructive epistles um, you know even our modern poetry and songs are are that way they're not you know laid out linearly per se they're designed to give us ideas you know so the point of their dense creative language is to cause us to contemplate 
and feel the truths being written about or sung. Um, I personally like to have things in black and white, you know, just <laughs> tell me what to do or what not to yep. do. But that's not always the intent of poetry. Mm. We don't just master them and move on. They are, they're bottomless well meant to be revisited and contemplated over and over again. That's not necessarily an answer to how to overcome an obstacle, but it is, um, you know, a reminder to don't give up, to enjoy the poetry, to understand that there's ideas there that are worth, you know, uh, meditating on. Hmm. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, as we as we begin to kind of to kind of wrap this up, if I can summarize some of what we've talked about, um, what, what we've shared on is is that the poetry is throughout Scripture, so you're going to run into it. You can't avoid it. Um, don't be intimidated by it. Uh, for our listeners, when you run into it, your authors have done some things to help you know that it's that it's poetry, but you're also going to have to overcome some obstacles, um, some things like metaphor and simile. You're going to have to go back to, to high school English a bit there and try to remember there's figurative language. And so wade through some of that. Some of it's going to be very clear, and some of it maybe you need to read a few notes in your study Bible to understand what the metaphor is that they're trying to draw. But don't be intimidated by the genre of poetry, uh, though it may seem a little bit uh, unique or uncommon to us. Uh, it's something that's meant to be meditated on. It's something that's meant to be dug into over the course of your lifetime. Um, and I, I believe the poetic parts of Scripture, if they aren't already, uh, will become really near to your heart as you study it over over the course of your life. Um, any final thoughts on this subject from either of you guys? I think you summarized it uh, really well. Uh, like you said, it's 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 a, a whole third of the Bible, so uh, appreciate it for for what it is. It's it's the very breath of God, and He breathed it this way for reason. So uh, so uh, take time to treasure it. And I would say, even with modern poetry, you know, interpretation is not necessarily easy. It's designed to be that way. So this isn't any different uh, than that. You know, for some of us, we read a poem and we're like, huh, what is the guy trying to say? But, um, <laughs> you know, that's no, that's, that's the, the point of, of poetry and art is to make you think differently and make you contemplative uh, in a different way. Hmm. Yeah. Good reminder. And, um, yeah, I, I hope that's helpful for our listeners. Troy, I appreciate your willingness to, to engage in this conversation, to, to join us this week. I, I do hope for you listeners that, that this has been a helpful and fruitful discussion for you. Um, but as we begin looking forward to next week, let's, let's head back to the Route 66 series, Tom. Um, and this coming Sunday, you've got another character. You've got David's son, Solomon. Uh, so what are you looking forward to preaching on on Sunday? Well, you know, Solomon is the golden days of Israel's history. I mean, literally, they said silver was just commonplace. It had no value because everything was golden. So that, that it's the exciting days. But uh, on the other hand, it's the disappointing days because Solomon does really well for 20 years, crashes and burns in the last 20 years. So hmm. trying to uh, understand again, why, why, why would God make him like the crowning moment of the history, the nation was never reunited uh, under one king after that. Why did he do that? Mm, no doubt it serves to provide us yet another tragedy uh, in a lot of ways in his life over the course of, yeah. of Scripture. We've run into a lot of those. 
Um, any interpretive questions from the life of Solomon that you're really wrestling with? You know, I'd, uh, probably more the applicational side is that uh, mm-hmm. he he said all the right things. He was challenged in the right way by his father when the cessation, when the handing of the scepter took place. So the big question is, uh, why why did he change course? What, what what was it that drew his heart away, and what can we learn from that? Mm, yeah, no doubt. Uh, finally, then, how can we prepare our hearts for the message? Well, because everybody is quarantined at home and they have nothing else to do. <laughs> I would say the best way for this one, the best way is to read First Kings chapters 1 through 11. Just take the time. It takes about 12 minutes to read that and just read through it and familiarize yourself with the narrative flow. Hmm. Good deal. Well, we will be looking forward to hearing the message. Um, I know many are watching it in our Facebook Live party on uh, Sunday morning where we show that video together and people comment. Um, but regardless of when you when you watch the service together, I hope you're encouraged uh, by Tom's sermon from the life of Solomon. Um, and that's it for this week for our 20th episode on the biblical genre of poetry. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, remember, if you're following along in the weekly reading, this week in anticipation of Tom's sermon, you have 1 Kings chapter 3 and then 6, uh, focusing in on some key moments in the life of Solomon. Um, and then if you're interested in more information on the subject of biblical poetry, I would really encourage you to check out the Bible Project's video. Uh, we've referenced their videos before, uh, the one entitled How to Read the Bible Poetry. We'll link that on our podcast, and we will include it on our website under the Watch tab. So take a moment and watch that. It's about a five-minute video, really helpful on this subject. Uh, I'd also encourage you to take a look, if you've got a little extra time to read it. Gordon and Fee have a book entitled How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. It has an excellent chapter um, on the subject of biblical poetry, though it covers a lot of different genres that we'll be talking about on the podcast. Uh, Last me, let me just... uh, Uh, fill you in a little bit on some of the developments taking place uh, at the church. Uh, We are hoping and planning toward potentially having uh, our first gathering uh, as a church on June 7th. Uh, That's still tentative based upon uh, new information may come in as we see trend lines and things like that from the, from the, the the city in our community. Um, But I'd encourage you to stay tuned for that. Uh, Check it out and, and see um, and if, if you're able and comfortable, um, I would encourage you to join us on that Sunday as, as we begin rolling back that direction. Lastly, just know that as always, uh, we will be praying for you and for your biblical interpretation, uh, that you would grow in your knowledge of the scriptures, uh, but even more than that, in your love for, for the God of the scriptures. So hope you join us again next week as we'll be continuing our study on Route 66 and talking about the person and life of Solomon. Um, So thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.